Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we share stories of people who experienced horrible things and try to imagine what they went through, as well as look for opportunities that could have made a difference and encourage people to help others that are being abused. Hate crimes are a despicable and evil thing that unfortunately exists in this crazy world. In 2017 alone, there were 8,828 victims of various hate crimes reported by police in just the United States. This was nearly a 6% increase from 2016. The vast majority of these crimes were motivated by the target's ethnicity something that's 100% beyond their control. With the rising number of reported hate crimes, sadly it's not even a surprise anymore when a person reports it. And sometimes these things happen to celebrities with a large platform, and they often use that platform as a way to raise awareness and try to make a difference. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And this week, we're discussing a case that could potentially be controversial. I really struggled with whether we should even talk about this because it's pretty well covered in the media, but I just recently heard about it, so I guess I might be out of the loop. Actually, I know I'm out of the loop. If you're out of the loop, I'm a million miles away. (laughs) Yeah, but it really had an impact on me, and I just think it'll be an interesting story. But I won't spoil it if you're like me and aren't familiar with all the details. So we're actually talking about a hate crime this week that was brought to the police attention back in February or late January of this year. And it's the story of Jussie Smollett. So Rosie, do you have anything else to say before we get started? Uh, no, not really. I'm back from the Port of Gal. Yes. Um, Other known as Portugal. (laughs) This is only Rosie's second day back, and I'm very happy to have her back. It was a a rough 10 days. (laughs) And I am a little sad. I really liked it down there, or really not down, but over there. But I'm back, and I missed Ryan, so I'm happy to be with him again. Aw, thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, are you ready to jump into the story of Jesse Smollett. I'm actually ready to dive right in, Ryan. All right. Well, let's go for it. <laughs> so, Jesse Smollett was born into a wealthy family on June 21st, 1982, in Santa Rosa, California. He was the third child of Janet and Joel Smollett. And they were a biracial family. His mother is African American, and his father is a mix of Russian and Polish Jew. But he says his father wasn't really home much when he was a child, but he did have connections in show business that helped Jesse get into acting. When he was just five years old, he began his acting career. Eventually, he ended up in the Mighty Ducks when he was 10, and he took it from there. At some point, Jesse ended up in New Jersey and graduated from Paramus Catholic High School there. Is that how you say it, Ryan? I think so, or Paramus. When he was 19, he told his parents that he was gay. He eventually moved to Chicago, and in 2014, he landed himself a regular job on a Fox drama show called The Empire, which I have not watched. Have you? No. So we really don't know what that's about. <laughs> um, but in March of 2015, Jesse appeared on The Ellen Show, and this is when he publicly came out as gay. Now, some people might call him a triple minority, so it was pretty groundbreaking to his community for him to be playing a prominent role in a Fox show. So, why are we talking about him today, you might ask? Well, 
in January of 2019, some pretty big life-changing events happened to Jesse. On January 30th, CNN reported that the 36-year-old actor from Empire had been attacked on the street by two masked people in the early morning hours. He was on his way home from Subway after walking there to get a midnight snack. He said they were yelling out racial and homophobic slurs, and they poured bleach on him. And specifically, he said they yelled empire, and then the homophobic slur F-word and the N-word. At some point, they put a rope around his neck, and then they fled the scene. That sounds pretty horrible. His creative director had been there at the time of the attack, and is the one that actually called the police. Now, we'll get into more detail about that later, but after talking to the police, he took himself to the Northwestern Hospital in Chicago, and he was actually, luckily, in good condition, besides some scratches, so it could have been a lot worse. I mean, hateful people putting a noose around your neck and pouring a chemical on you, it sounded like they wanted to hurt him pretty badly. Um, but they ran off before they could. Maybe someone spooked them or something? Hmm. A CNN reporter actually visited Jesse at the hospital, and that's where he told them that he was shaken and angry that an attack like this could happen. And he also told them that he fought back. That evening, Chicago police canvassed the neighborhood near Jesse's apartment where the attack happened, but the spot was just out of range of the nearby security camera so they were unable to find any images of the attack itself. They were able to pull the footage from Subway, but it only showed Jesse alone. So there were really no clues they could gather from that, but they continued trying to investigate. It took place in the Streeterville neighborhood of Chicago, which has a lot of surveillance cameras, so the police were watching hundreds of hours of video, looking for any little clues they could find. Twelve officers were assigned to Jesse's case, and the FBI also got involved. They took it very seriously, as it was pretty obviously a hate crime. A representative from Fox, where Jesse worked, also made a statement saying they were deeply saddened and outraged that a member of their Empire family had been viciously attacked. And they said, We send our love to Jesse, who is resilient and strong and we will work with law enforcement to bring these perpetrators to justice. Glad also reached out to Jesse to offer support, and told CNN, Jesse is a true champion for LGBTQ people, and is beloved by the community and allies around the world. So it's nice to see all the support Jesse is getting after something like this. It's a terrible thing that to happen to somebody and you can see a lot of people willing to support him and help him get justice because no matter what your personal beliefs may be a hate crime is never okay people can have different ideals without forcing or imposing them on other people and a hate crime is one of the absolute worst things you could do to someone that you don't agree with i mean that should be obvious, and yet stuff like this happens a lot. So that said, let's go through the official police report. Jesse's creative director, Frank Gatson, had been in Jesse's apartment when he returned after his attack. Jesse did not want to call the police because he said he didn't want his neighbors to know. But Frank was genuinely worried about him, so he called the police. When they first arrived... At 2.42 a.m., they were recording with their body-worn cameras. But a couple minutes in, Jesse requested that they be deactivated. I mean, that's fair. He was in his personal apartment. He probably didn't want to take a chance of his living situation being made public. I guess. And he's just been through a traumatic event. So, possibly, he doesn't want to chance all his fans seeing him in such a disheveled condition. But the police aren't able to let that recording out, are they? Interesting. <laughs> Jesse had a rope draped around his neck. In the police report, he said that as he was walking to his residence, two unknown males approached him and got his attention by yelling, Empire! F-word, N-word, verbatim. 
The primary aggressor was wearing a black mask so Jesse couldn't identify any facial features, and they were both dressed all in black. They proceeded to batter him, put a rope around his neck, and pour an unknown substance on him. Which they later tested and found to be bleach. And just to clear things up, the F word that they were saying, it wasn't the, the F word. It was the um, slur for a gay person. Mm-hmm. So, just so you know. Jesse couldn't remember any other distinguishing details and wasn't sure which way they fled. But he did mention a threatening phone call and a letter he received the week before. On January 22, 2019, Jesse received a letter addressed to him at the Chicago studio where Empire was filmed. And the writing on the envelope looks like it was written by a five-year-old with a big fat Crayola marker. Yes, I thought so too. Yeah, so whoever wrote this is either really dumb or trying to disguise their handwriting like extremely. Mm. Maybe they wrote it with a less dependent hand. Yeah, that could be. Where the return address should go, it just said MEGA in all caps which is an acronym for Donald Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again, which I did not know, so I'm glad you put that in the outline. (laughs) You're welcome. Also, there are two L's in Smollett, and one of them was written backwards on the envelope. And it honestly looks super dumb the way it's written. Like, who would be so dumb that they'd put one L normal and then the other one backwards? Because they're capital L's. And so it kind of looks like a U with a gap between the bottom. Hmm. It's kind of weird. Inside, the message was written by random letters cut out of magazines. And it said, You will die, black fag. And it had a drawing of a tall stick figure with long hair holding a smaller stick figure with a fro up by the neck with a noose. Then a gun suspended in the air pointing at the smaller stick figure from the other side. There was also a powdery substance inside. Ooh. Yeah. So this had to be a terrifying letter to receive. I can't even imagine the fear that I'd be living in if I got something like this. And also some people, including Jesse, described the tall stick figure as a tree. But I'd suggest you go look it up for yourself because to me it really looks like another stick figure. It has stick man legs. So that's just a little detail that uh, you might want to look into for yourself. After this, the studio increased its security measures and offered extra bodyguards to Jesse for when he was not on set. But it was reported that he turned down that offer. The letter was reported and a hazmat team responded. They determined the powder was just ground-up aspirin. But after Jesse's attack a week later, the letter was turned over to the FBI for investigation. So, by this, it seems like Jesse has a target on his back from some crazy white supremacists, hateful people. And a couple of days later, on the 26th of January, Jesse said he received a phone call where the caller just said, Hey, you little F-word, meaning the slur for gay people, and And then hung up. On February 1st, Jesse released his first official statement exclusively given to the Essence magazine. He said, Let me start by saying that I'm okay. My body is strong, but my soul is stronger. More importantly, I want to say thank you. The outpouring of love and support from my village has meant more than I will ever be able to truly put into words. I am working with authorities and have been 100% factual and consistent on every level. Despite my frustrations and deep concern with certain inaccuracies and misrepresentations that have been spread, I still believe that justice will be served. Yeah, and so there were some details spread around after the attack that Jesse said he never said. For example... He said on GMA that people were saying his attackers were wearing red MAGA hats and that Jesse had said that, but he discounted that rumor and said he never said that. People also started the rumor that it was a date gone bad. Which also disgusted Jesse because, 
know, he was in a relationship already, so he wasn't going on dates with people. But there were also skeptical people saying that he staged the whole thing because he was unhappy with his salary on Empire. And um, just to fill in that detail... He was making $125,000 per episode. Whoa. And Empire aired 18 episodes per season. So that would be $2,250,000 per year. So it really doesn't seem likely that could be his motive because that's a really good salary. And you'd have to yeah. be insanely greedy for two and a quarter million dollars per year to not be enough. But what do I know? That's probably more than I'll make in my life. And Chicago is really stinking expensive. Remember when at the True Crime Podcast Festival when we were there? I think they charged me like $17 for a neat bourbon. I'm glad that that's what you're using as reference. <laughs> well, it was at a hotel, so it's not like a regular bar. But it's a lot more expensive to live there than Minnesota, I would imagine. Well, yeah. But we have um, some really good tater tot hot dish here so it's fine yeah dash <laughs> yeah jesse's family also released a statement that day saying we want to be clear this was a racial and homophobic hate crime jesse has told the police everything from the beginning so his family was standing by him and supporting him and we'll talk about the rumors and where they came from later but first let's discuss his appearance on good morning america on February 13th. So we're going to go through parts of the interview. And I'm going to read for Jesse and Rosie. Will you read for Robin? Oh, I sure will. All right. Robin Roberts conducted the interview with Smollett. And the first words they aired from this interview were Jesse saying, I'm pissed off. So Robin asked him, what is it that has you so angry? Is it the attackers or the... Then Jesse cut in and said... It's the attackers, but it's also the attacks. Here he was referring to the attacks that he had been getting from people saying that he was lying. He went on to say... At first it was a thing of like, listen, if I tell the truth, then that's it because it's the truth. Then it became a thing of like, oh, how can you doubt that? Like... How do you not believe that? It's the truth. And then it became a thing of like, oh, it's not necessarily that you don't believe that this is the truth. You don't even want to see the truth. What? <laughs> I think that was a, I tried to re, uh, mm -hmm. say it exactly the way he right. did. I'm just like responding as like my head going, what? <laughs> Robin replied, what happened that night, Jesse? So here we get this detailed account of straight from Jesse of what happened that night. So he said verbatim, when I landed in Chicago and Frank Gatson, who's like my uncle, and he's also my creative director, and he picked me up. And then we got back to the apartment. There was no food. And so I went out to Walgreens thinking that they were 24 hours and to have a smoke. So then Jesse did a short giggle sound and continued, uh, Walgreens was closed. Um, so I called him up, meaning Frank, I'm guessing, and I, and I said, hey, I'm going to run to Subway, which was across the street, and I'm going to get a salad. Do you want anything? I went to Subway and got the order, during that time, I texted my manager thinking that he was still in Australia because he was on an Australian tour with one of his other clients. I say, yo, call me when you can. He called me immediately, and while he was on the phone, I heard, as I was crossing the intersection, I heard, Empire. And I don't answer to Empire. And so Jesse laughed and shook his head and said, my name ain't Empire, uh, and I didn't answer. I kept walking, and then I heard F-word, Empire, N-word. Again, like we said, that F-word is the slur for homosexuals. And so he continues, 
So I turned around and I said, the F you just say to me? And I see the uh, attacker uh, masked. So right here, Jesse gets emotional and he went on and he said, this mega country, N-word, punches me right in the face. So I punched his ass back. And then um, we started tussling, you know. It was very icy. And we ended up tussling by the stairs. Hmm. Here he's talking about the stairs by his apartment. This is where he told the police the attack had happened. But again, it was out of range of the security camera. So Jesse continues his account. Uh, We're fighting, fighting, fighting. There was a second person involved who was kicking me in my back. And then it just stopped. And they ran off. And I saw where they ran. And the phone was in my pocket, but it had fallen out. It was sitting there, and my manager was still on the phone. So I picked up the phone, and I said, Brandon. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, I was just jumped. And then I looked down and see that there's a rope around my neck, which I hadn't. Robin asks, you hadn't noticed it before? And Jesse responded, no, because it was so fast. You know what I'm saying? It's so, it was so fast. How long did this all take? Robin asked. And Jesse cuts in and says, it felt like minutes, but it was probably like 30 seconds. Honestly, I can't tell you, honestly. Um, I noticed the rope around my neck, and I started screaming, and I said, There's an effing rope around my neck. Then Robin asked him, Did you get any kind of description of the attackers? He answered, I gave the body description, and I, you know, because I saw this. As he pointed to his eyes, then the space between his eyes. But, and, you know, right here or whatever. But I didn't see... I can't tell you what color their eyes were. I can't tell you. And I did not see anything except the second person I saw running away. And the first person, yeah, I saw saw his stature. I gave the description as best I could. You have to understand also that it's Chicago in winter. People can wear ski masks and nobody's going to question that. His account is so Detailed, like almost unnecessarily detailed. But maybe he was just nervous on GMA. It is a huge show. Although he is a professional actor and he doesn't seem to be nervous all the time while talking about it. Like the week before this, he had a concert scheduled in West Hollywood at the Troubadour Club and it was right after his attack. And before he performed, he addressed the cloud and said, Above all, I fought the F back. I'm the gay Tupac. So he was feeling pretty empowered, it felt like, after mm-hmm. at his concert, you know. Although he was getting a lot of support there, too. But Right. He wasn't going to let his attackers win and cancel the show. But now let's get back to the interview, because Robin brought up another new detail that we haven't discussed yet. She said the police had gone through a lot of video footage, and that they were able to capture an image of two men dressed in black, walking down the sidewalk. She asked if he'd seen that image, and if he thought that they could be the attackers. And he responded, I do. So she asked, what is it about their size, or why do you feel that they could possibly be the attackers? To which he simply answered, because I was there. For me, when that was released, I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere. I don't have any doubt in my mind that... That's them. So there was an interesting behavior that's impossible not to notice when he answered this question. He was looking away from Robin a lot. Mm -hmm. His eyes were wandering around the room. And he was also pursing his lips a lot. So we'll discuss that more later. So Robin asked him, why did you hesitate to want to call the police? He replied, you know... There's a level of pride there. We live in a society where... And he took a long pause here and started tearing up and continued, As a gay man, you're considered somehow 
to be weak. And I'm not weak. I am not weak. And we, as a people, are not weak. So, yeah, I can accept that there was pride there. There was also privacy, you know. At the end of the day, look what has happened. And then he wiped tears away and continued, you know, look what has happened. So, I'm glad that Frank called the police. I'm glad that we reported it. Um, During that time before they came, I don't... It took maybe a half hour for them to come. And during that time, I was looking at myself, just like checking myself out. I saw the bruise on my neck. You know, like the little... Like the rope burn around my neck. And then I... But I smell bleach. I know the smell of bleach. And I saw on my sweatshirt, it had marks on it, like spots on it. Like when you have a bad bleach job. So then I was like, there's bleach on me too. So when the police came, um, I kept the clothes on. I kept the rope. Robin replied, so you had the rope on the entire time? And he answered, I mean, it wasn't like wrapped around, but yeah, it was around because I wanted them to see. I wanted them to see that this was, to see what this was. I told them what happened, everything. I also asked them to turn their body cams off because they were trying to stay in the hallway and I was like, please just come in. Like, I don't want a big scene with my neighbors and with the second round of police officers, uh, I went down to where it happened, and I walked them through exactly what happened. And I looked up, and I saw that there was a camera directly on the light post that is in the intersection. So I'm like, there it is. And then the detective told me that the camera inside the casing was facing north, so they didn't have it. And that was disappointing. After this, Robin says... The vast majority of people had been supportive and loving and understanding. And then, as time has gone on, and there's no, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you're going to the subway, sub-zero. Jesse cuts her off and says, Subway's open 24 hours, as he rolls his eyes and shakes his head. Like, people kill me when they say things like that, because it's like, Subway is open 24 hours for a reason. At this point, he's visibly pissed off. And he continues, so that when you're hungry at night and you ain't got no food, you go to Subway. The camera facing north, how is that my issue? It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more, a a lot more. And that says a lot about the place we are in our country right now. The fact that we have these fear mongrels. I think he meant to say mongers here, not mongrels. But he continues, these people that are trying to separate us, and it's just not okay. And I completely agree with him there. It's absolutely disgusting that people have biases and prejudices based on race or religion. You know, there's never a good reason to hate another human being. Robin nods and says, mm-hmm. And Jesse smiles and continues. It's just not okay. And for all the people, the next time that you see someone report something, maybe well after the fact that it happened, and you say to them, well, why you wait until now? Just remember that mine was reported right away. And look what has happened. Again, he's making really good points here. It shouldn't matter when something is reported. It may take a long time for victims to accept what has happened and have the courage to tell somebody. Robin replies to this speaking about the phone call he had with his manager and asks him, As you said, it was an accurate account of the timeline, valuable information, When did you make that information available to the police? 
After this, he tells her they didn't originally ask for his phone records. They asked for his phone. They wanted him to give his phone over to the tech for three to four hours, and he didn't want to do this. He told Robin, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do that. She asks him why, and he says, Because I have private pictures and videos and numbers, my partner's number, my family's number, my castmate's number, my friend's numbers, my private emails, my private songs, my private voice memos. I don't know what's that, what it's going to be to hand over my phone for, and honestly, by then, inaccurate false statements had already been put out there. He did end up submitting phone records from within an hour of the attack, but the police said they were heavily re- redacted and not very useful to corab- collaborate, corroborate. corroborate the investigative timeline they had worked out. Then Robin asked him about the false rumors. He told her that the rumor it was the rumor that it was a date gone bad was absolutely offensive to him and that he resents that narrative because it's BS and it's unfair to the investigation and to the victim. And so he brought up how he used to use Grinder back in the day when he was single, but he hadn't been on there in years. Remember, he had a partner at the time. After this, she asked him about his injuries, and he said that it was reported that he had fractured his ribs, but that wasn't true. He said he was just in a lot of pain. His clavicle was messed up, and he had a bruised rib, but nothing was cracked. He told her he walked in and out of the hospital. After this, she asked him why he, why he thinks he was targeted, and he responded that he can just assume it's because he comes so hard against 45, meaning the 45th and current president. It's interesting. At a press conference, someone actually asked the president what he thought about Jesse Smollett, and he replied, I think it's horrible. It doesn't get any worse as far as I'm concerned. Seeming to actually show sympathy for the victim of this hate crime. So that was interesting. Robin asked him if he was aware of this statement, and he said he didn't know what to say to that. And he appreciates him not brushing over it. Then she asked him, There's not a doubt in your mind what motivated this attack? And he said, I can only go off their words. Referring back to the slurs and them saying this mega country and the rope and the bleach. Um, So he says, and this is just a friendly fight? I will never be the man that this did not happen to. I'm forever changed. And I don't subscribe to the idea that everything happens for a reason. But I do subscribe to the idea that we have the right and the responsibility to make something meaningful out of the things that happened to us, good and bad. And I think that's really well said. It's a really good way to look at life, don't you think? Yeah. I think it's funny that he says the word subscribe, because that just makes me think of YouTube. Right. But, (laughs) But yes, it is good. So Robin asks him, what do you feel people need to hear the most from this story? And he said, people just need to hear the truth. And then he said, I just want people to know the power that they hold in their little pinky. Speaking about fellow people that fall into minority groups that may feel weak or targeted. Near the end, Robin asked if he'd ever been threatened before. And he told her that he gets threats all the time on all social media platforms. And this detail will also come into play later. He told Robin he wants that video footage to be found so badly for four reasons. First... He wants them to find the people that did it. Second, he wants them to stop being able to say alleged attack. Third, he says, I want them to see that I fought back. And fourth, then he got emotional and held back tears as he said, and I want a little gay boy who might watch this to see that I fought the F back. So he said he didn't want to take anything away from people that aren't able to fight back but he wants people to know that he did fight back and that they ran off and he didn't. So 
There's a lot that Jussie is trying to say here, and using his attack as an opportunity to inspire others, that's respectable. But there's a lot more to this story. The same day that the GMA interview aired on February 13th, police had apprehended two men at the O'Hare airport. They were Abel and Ola... Asendero. Asendero. Thank you. Two black men who were brothers returning from a two-week trip. You know what's funny? What? I was just at this airport. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. O'Hare in yeah. Chicago. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I was just there. And I want to make one quick... Um, I think it might be Osundero, not Asendero. So. That's your fault. I was going to say Osundero. I'm sorry. Police believe that these two were the two men in the footage, the video footage that they had found. On February 15th, these brothers had been held and interrogated for two days, and they eventually agreed to cooperate with the police. After this, the brothers were released from holding, and the department issued a statement saying, Due to new evidence as a result of today's interrogations, the individuals questioned by police in the Empire case have now been released without charging, and detectives have additional investigative work to complete. There was no press conference because of the shooting that happened in Aurora, Illinois on February 15th. And I want to briefly summarize what happened in Aurora, just in case people aren't aware. Five people were shot and killed at the Henry Pratt Company in Aurora, Illinois. And it's really heartbreaking. The wife of one of the victims, Tara Pinkard, um, he, she's the wife of Josh Pinkard. She received a text from Josh that day. It said, I love you. I've been shot at work. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. Can you imagine the panic you'd feel receiving that from your loved one? It's that so terrifying. It's terrible. And Josh was the plant manager at this company. Oh. The other victims of the shooting were Trevor Waynor, who was the HR intern just starting his first day at the company. Clayton Parks, the HR manager, who was married. And his wife wrote a post on her Facebook after the incident as well. Rosie, will you read that? Yes, it says, Every time I've closed my eyes over the last 12 hours, I've opened them hoping to wake from this terrible dream. But that's not the case. I'm living my worst nightmare. My husband, my love, my best friend... An incredible father to our sweet son was taken from us yesterday, and I am devastated. I'll always love I'll love you always and miss you forever, Clay. Can you even imagine? Ugh. So also Russell Bayer was killed. He had worked at this place for twenty years. Mm. Vincent Juarez was also killed, and he had eight grandchildren. Two of his nieces spoke out about him. I b- believe it's Maricela Madrigal. Thank you. Had told WGN that he was a great person, a loving father, a great uncle, and it's a big shame that he was taken too soon. His other niece, Ariana Castro, started a GoFundMe account to cover funeral costs and assist his family which raised over $19,000. She wrote, On February 15, 2019, Vincent Juarez, a husband, father, grandfather, brother, son, uncle, cousin, lost his life in the Henry Pratt shooting in Aurora, Illinois. As many of you, as many of you know, Vincent was the head of his household and his family depended on him extensively. We know that many other families have also experienced a loss, and we appreciate any help. Another employee was injured, as well as six police officers. Ugh, that's so terrible. And so sad that Vincent's family was still financially dependent on him, you know? As I would imagine most of these people were, but... It's just such a huge loss for that family. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. So we're sorry if we got off topic from the story, but we just wanted to share what we know of the victims in this horrible attack because it happened so close to the case we're discussing tonight. 
So the men that had been released told the police their version of what had happened in the early hours of January 29th. But the story they told was pretty shocking to a lot of people. They told police that Smollett had asked them to help him orchestrate this entire incident. So, that's a bombshell. A few days later, on February 19th, the state prosecutor, Kim Fox, rescued... Recused. Thank you. (laughs) It's a similar word. Recused herself from this case after having conversations with Smollett's family. She delegated it to her first assistant... Joseph Maggots? Yeah, something like that. And said her decision was, quote, out of an abundance of caution. So it kind of sounds like she really didn't want to prosecute Jussie. Maybe a bit too high profile for her? Regardless, the next day, Jesse Smollett was charged with disorderly conduct for filing a false police report. And this is a felony that could lead up to three years in prison. So it's really serious stuff. Smollett surrendered to the police the next day, but he was quickly released on bail. After this, the superintendent of the Chicago police, Eddie Johnson, made a statement saying, Jesse Smollett took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. Wow. Yeah, so the police department is has turned against him at this point, and he's asking why? That is a good question. Like, why would he do this? And did he actually do this? Did he actually make this whole thing up and orchestrate it? Well, that's where we'll pick back up next week. Whew. But. That's spicy. Now you're seeing why we're covering this case, because, I mean, yeah, it's based on a terrible hate crime, but, and it's a huge issue that happens to real people a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, hate crimes are one of the most despicable things a person can do to another human being, but if someone lies about being a victim... And it's it's obvious they're lying. Mm -hmm. That's such a huge disservice and such a disrespectful slap in the face to real victims. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah. So next week we'll be talking about the evidence and about where we land on this case. And yeah, it will be fascinating. And we'll also talk about my strong feelings about this case and Rosie's reaction as well. So. Yeah. it. Just watching the interview, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, There, there's an interview on GMA, the one that we went through in this. I tried to, to say stuff as close to how he said it as possible so you could draw your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend homework for this week's podcast, which... Is, you know, unfair for me to ask. But if you're curious, um, go look up Jussie Smollett on GMA. And, yeah, you can make your own calls about how you feel about his interview. And next week we will dive deeper into the evidence. And, yeah. Yeah. So, without spoiling anything else, what do you think, Rosie? I, man... That well, watching the interview, I was like, "Wait a second, there." I don't know. There's a lot of weird things, but oh man, to not even be a victim but pretend that is that's pretty yeah bad. I mean, we know we know for a fact that a lot of survivors listen to our show, and maybe people that are still victimized by something, mm-hmm. you know. And it's so unfair to them to pretend to be a victim. It's not good. Or pretend to have been, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you guys know what we're saying. It's a disgusting thing if he's lying. So, <sighs> okay. Well, 
Let's push that away. Do we have any cat news or? I don't know. Do we? I've been gone for a long time. <laughs> um, How are the kitties while I was gone? Yeah. Burrito was very needy. Yeah. My poor little baby. He definitely missed you. Um, I missed him as well. But yeah, I can't think of any cat news um, besides, yeah, they're very happy to have Rosie home. <laughs> Before we jump into our reviews, we're going to play a promo for you guys. It's the Murderific Podcast. Bernadette has always been so kind to us, and she does a great job putting together this show. So check it out. Check out the Murderific True Crime Podcast, hosted by Bernadette from the state of Maine. Topics will include some seriously true scary stories about serial killers, mass murderers, familicides, the missing, and unsolved cases. Go to www.murderific.com to start listening now or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until then, we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. So, should we share yeah, two of our latest reviews? I have the first one up. Okay, you go for it. It is entitled, Don't Listen to Bad Reviews. <laughs> Five star. It says, Just listening to the latest and wondering why people listen to something they don't like. I thought the same thing. Personally, I love you both and the way you interact with each other. Your compassion holds no bounds, and I certainly really enjoy your podcast as one of my favorites. Keep up the hard work and don't change anything. I'm English, living in Spain. Aww. Thank you, Nico Dog Rescue. Love that you're a rescue. <laughs> a dog rescuer? Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much. Really appreciated that review. It was very nice. This one I'm about to share is from way back in September. September 19th, 2019. From at... The name is F I Fit. I can't. There's too many letters. <laughs> I think it's F I T L F J U K D D E S D T H H or F H H. Well, I don't know what the name is, but it's in response to the cared enough to review reviews. Okay. The, the yes, yes. Ones that said get rid of your husband. Mm-hmm. And their Which title. Which I haven't. The title was Actually Cared Enough to Review, and it says, Hey, this is Lacey. That's much easier than all the letters that I just read. (laughs) Hey, Lacey, thank you for writing in. It says, Hey, this is Lacey. I'm not the original Cared Enough to Review, but it bothered me just as much as you guys. So here's a real Cared Enough to Review. That's so sweet. (laughs) First off... I've listened since day one, and even then I thought it was awesome. It does sound like real people and real emotions, thoughts, and genuine discussion. I do listen to other polished podcasts, and sometimes it's almost like monotone talking, and I found myself drowning it out and leaving it for background noise. (laughs) I love the both of you, and I can't believe someone would be so harsh to Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) he sounds so sweet and though you shouldn't judge a book by its cover or sound lol you seem like such a great guy oh thank you outside of all that the way you approach cases is intriguing and refreshing to me it's such a different format from other podcasts dealing with the same topics It gets old sometimes to just hear the facts rattled off and the gory details talked to death. So keep it up. There are people who love the podcast, including me. You can just hear the... Oh, wait. You can count that as factual, considering I have never taken the time to write a a review and am currently delaying the opening of my restaurant to do so. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's worth it. Have a wonderful day, you guys. Pet the kitty cats for me. Oh, <laughs> there is one. Burrito right there. appreciates that. Yes. Thank you. And can't wait to listen to the next show. Thank you so much, Lacey. That is so nice. That 
That is a thoughtful review. That is. And I completely get it why a lot of people don't want to leave a review because it takes time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not convenient to go leave a review, which makes it even sadder when people leave a nasty review because they really are passionate about how much they hate us. Mm -hmm. But but thank you so much, um, everyone who has left reviews, for actually carving out that time and, you know, letting us know how you feel about our show. We value constructive criticism. Even if you don't love everything about the way we're doing our show now, mm-hmm. it we Dude, do take Ryan. it seriously. So phone. It just went off for one time ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, so popular. <laughs> um, I can't remember what I was just saying. We appreciate our reviews. Oh, yeah. We appreciate constructive criticism that's done in a respectful way, too. So even if you don't think our show is perfect the way it is, if you respectfully give us criticism, we will take it seriously, as Mm -hmm. long as you're not mean about it. (laughs) Please don't be mean. You know, that's what my whole last Ryan Rambles was about, was how I decide whether criticism is valid or not, and how I deal with self-doubt and imposter syndrome. So, you know. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Shameless plug. If you want to listen to it, go check out our Patreon. But anyway, I think that's it. So we're going to go get some dollar tacos. Do you have anything else to say, Rosie? Um, no, just that um, I'm Portuguese now. And <laughs> yeah, you wish. <laughs> everything that I'm thinking about is in Portugal. And I love it. And I want to move there really bad. Yeah, we're actually working on a Patreon episode talking about Rosie's experiences in Portugal. They were so good. And (laughs) kind of comparing them to life in the United States. It's so much better in Portugal. The contrast. Hey, Hmm? we need to go into it unbiased. I'm unbiasedly (laughs) saying that it's so much better in Portugal. (laughs) Well, anyway, we think it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. just comparing different things and the way people live and, you know, the pros and cons of both sides. So, yep, I think it'll be interesting. Oh, I think it will be. I can't wait to talk about it (laughs) because that's all I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.